Guys, if you didn't know already, I am at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and you can catch myself, Duffy Connors and Shani Johan every day until the 25th of August at Dropkick Murphy's Bar at 6.45pm. Uh, before you do that though, listen to this podcast because I have the wonderful Noam Osbund on as a guest. He is a musical comedian. In this episode, we talk about his band of comedy, um, what led him to it instead of doing straight stand-up, 24-hour news cycles, Howard Stern, and the wonderful Peep Show. So yeah, please welcome Noam Osmond. So, Noam, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing, man? Uh, I'm all right. What do you go by? Nathan? Nate? Nathan. Get Nathan. Yeah, Nathan. Okay. Um, yeah, some people do call me Nate, but like, yeah, call me Nate if you want. Okay. I don't mind either or. Cool. Yeah, either or, I don't mind. Call me anything. Okay. Um, so, yeah. How have you found Edinburgh so far? Uh, great. This is my second time here. I oh, came nice. last year and um, found it very overwhelming, but in a wonderful way. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there's so much going on. And yeah. Uh, but it's just there's such a creative energy in the air. It's really exciting. It's really exciting every night to meet different people mm. who are doing different creative things, and and I am loving it. Yeah, man, I've really found that like being here has just motivated me to write more, 100%. and I'm kind of figuring out what kind of comic I want to be now. Yeah. So that's it's been really helpful. I mean, it's been it is it is work, but it is so much fun and so. There's nothing really like it, is there? Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. It's yeah, and it's fun seeing different sorts of shows, and yeah. it makes you think about the different sorts of uh, creative things you can do, and, and different things you might want to try. And at least I found that for myself. So, what have you seen so far this year? I've seen a lot of things. Things that I particularly liked was uh, Neil Port. I think it's Neil Portenza is Josh Lagrove. It's this guy who. Uh, uh, it, it's a show where he's a bilge pump salesman, and it's all about like a seminar for how to sell bilge pumps. Nice. It's a weird premise, and it, it, it the show goes into like crazy weird places, uh, but it was really fun. It yeah. was really fun. I saw yesterday these two clowns called, they go under the name The Establishment. Oh. Just wildly funny. Just like really guffawing very loudly. They just had amazing chemistry. Saw these two women in a show called Get Nupti. I forget what their name is, but it was very funny as well. Yeah, I don't know. Seen a, seen a bunch. Of, I'm trying to see at least one or two things a day. Yeah. And then yesterday I had a day off, so I saw like four or five shows. It was great. Nice. Uh, yeah. That's the thing about the film. What I'm finding about this place is that there's just so many people that I haven't heard of, and that's just amazing. It's really opened my. It just it's something like this can really open your eyes to 100%. how many comics and how many performers and styles of performance are out there because I feel like you can get really trapped in your own little bubble as it were. If, yeah. Do you find that? Um, less about being trapped in a bubble but definitely about the idea about like being exposed to so much and seeing so many things is 100% true. So, so. so what's your performing background? So uh, my performing background? Yeah. Um, I did a lot of theater as a kid, never on like any super high level. I, I went to like a small Jewish school that didn't, that did like one play a year, so I do that. And then in college, I did a lot of theater. And then um, I got into musical comedy in my late 20s. Nice. And would do some, I, I had a summer where like I just made money street performing. That was wonderful. 
And then uh, starting about five years ago, I just started doing a lot more performance stuff. Um, and just now I, I try to do musical comedy as much as I can. I guess I don't... I've never had the... Um, the guts to try to like make a leap of saying that's like what I'm going to try to do is my primary source of income. Yeah. Uh, so like I do radio journalism back home, but um. Yeah, I uh, I just I you know it's funny. I got into musical comedy in part because I once uh, I got a master's in English literature and my Ooh, first very th- nice. yeah my I'm too many degrees I have way too many degrees. Uh, am I? F- first it was this program that took place over the course of a bunch of summers and my first summer there i took this romantic poetry class with a um uh english uh professor like a she was from england who was in her 70s i think or late 60s and uh there was like a talent show night and i wrote a bunch of songs uh and i wrote a song about a romantic song for a romantic poetry teacher about her and i asked her would it be okay if i sang it in front of people and she said yeah and what's funny is I've written three songs. The one that I thought was going to be a hit, in hindsight, I mean, it was just such a horrible, it was such a horrible song. It was all just like dirty puns about literature. The only one I remember being Sylvia Plath, Would You Like to Take a Bath? Have You Have you Heard the Good News? I'm Twice as Big as Ted Hughes. Oh, Very not, like, the kind of thing you maybe say, like, in a pub with friends and yeah. maybe gets a laugh, but, like, you don't say in front of a room that's two-thirds women. Um... So that but, went down really well. <laughs> yeah, I, oh my god. Well, so it was so awkward because... Well, I, I sang that romantic poetry song first. I, just a, a rapturous response. It was admittedly a very funny song, I think, in hindsight. Um, and even looking back at it, like it holds up. It wasn't sort of creepy. It was just sort of sweet and playful. Um, I played three songs in a row. That, the, the, the dirty one was like the last one. I, I cut it off halfway through. So I just remember being mm. like... These people are stone-faced, and it's just a dirty song, and <laughs> I won't do that. Um, but that the song got such a positive response, and then later that night, people just kept coming up to me and being like, I heard you play the song, can you play it for me? And so I did, and that was just really powerful. Mm. So, yeah. So, have you tried any other forms of comedy, or is it, have you just completely I've done a bit tried? of stand-up, I just, um, I'm a musician, and I, I, I like playing music, and I really like doing music into song so I've done a bit of stand-up but, but musical comedy is much more in my bag listen man you've got to find you got to find who you are man like, totally otherwise you can feel a bit like an imposter in another thing I also think musical comedy is lets you be really silly in a way because there's already something silly about singing a funny yeah. song and so it, um, I mean you could be a completely absurdist comic just with a microphone and no instrument of course mm. But I think doing music um, facilitates a certain sense of absurdity and silliness on some level that that, that I like. Mm, so that's, that's cool. So who do you think? I uh, you know I'm gonna let's go to radio journalism for a bit. Sure. How did you get into that? Uh, like I said, I have too many degrees. I got a <laughs> uh, I got a PhD in anthropology, and by the time I finished my PhD. I was like, I don't want to be a professor. I don't want to be an academic. Uh, I had become a documentary filmmaker and I made a bunch of films. And, um, you know, podcasting was starting to get bigger by that time. And and, uh, I really like conversations with strangers. And there's something about uh, audio that makes that easier. If it's only audio, uh, there's a certain intimacy. People really open up a bit more. And so that's that's how I decided to do that. So... Who are your major influences in the radio? On the radio, 
a good question. You know, it's interesting. I don't know who I'd say. I, I can think of people who I look at, and it's like I want to be able to do that. Yeah. So there's a podcast called Criminal. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I've heard of it, yeah. Just consistently amazing story. I mean, firstly, it's great because it's not like a lurid true crime thing. It's just mm. like interesting things that deal with crime. So it's like they once had a whole episode about like a body farm where they let bodies decompose for the sake of trying to learn more about forensic science. Mm. Uh, and just the, the storytelling on that show is consistently amazing. Yeah. It's really fun to listen to it and hear that storytelling. Um, 99% Invisible. That's a show I keep trying to get on. I've pitched them. I've yeah. come like oh so close but never have done it. Uh, and, What's that show about? Uh, it's an amazing show. It's about like design but um, basically about what design tells us about human beings. Um and it's very popular in the states um and yet again it's just another show where it's just like a real high level of of telling a story that that imparts some some wisdom okay uh yeah um my i have to say like when it comes to radio yeah one of my major influences is howard stone Oh, he's like the best interviewer. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's what, it's, yeah. it, it, I feel like in the last five years, his reputation has changed. Yeah. And it has become uh, more. I'm the battery, don't worry. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. It's become more acceptable to acknowledge that, like, forgetting anything else about him, he just is amazing at getting people to open up. Yes. He's amazing at getting people to open up. I mean, he's just so fucking honest. I think people respond to that. I think he's just so real. He's so real in his interviews that um, people are willing to be real with him. Or even if he's not being real, he has the ability to get other people to be real as well, to be real in front of him. Yeah. Like, I just think that the way that he speaks, the way he makes guests feel so comfortable is just admirable. But then that's what you get when you've been on the radio for about, what, 30 years? Totally. I mean, you've, have you ever listened to some of his earlier stuff? Yes. Yeah. And I, mean, I think it's it's ama- I, th- I think it's amazing. Yeah. Like. You know, you know what you should see. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Is he, parts. Yeah. Did you yeah. see it? Of course. And I think, and one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite films. I, it's funny. I wonder how it holds up. I mean, I saw it when it came out in the theater and loved it. Yeah. Um. I bet it holds up probably pretty well. I bet it probably holds up pretty well. Um. I think, it's. I think it's a classic, and I think that it's in. I think whether it's whether you agree with its views or what the views of the film or whatever else, I think it's integral viewing for anyone who wants to succeed, either in business or in any form of medium, because it's a success story at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah. And it shows some. And whether you like Howard Stone or not, it shows someone who has been beaten down, been fucked over by major corporations. Sorry, yeah. there's kids here, I forgot about that. They um, ain't in the room. Yeah. Um, he, gets fucked, he gets fucked over by major corporations and still manages to come out on top. 100%. And apparently the book's even better. I've not read oh, the book. Oh, it's funny. I've never read the book either. I've just seen the movie. Yeah. And I think it's great how... I think it's so great and absurdist that he plays himself... 100%. ...throughout every stage of his life yeah in high school he's like 40 years old and he's playing like a high school kid and then playing himself as Howard Stern yeah well so what's your favorite Howard Stern interview oh god I can't <laughs> uh, I'd be lying if I said I could name one like a specific one I don't know I just 
I mean, you know. And I don't listen to it, like, I don't listen to it regularly. I just okay. will sometimes, like, come across stuff or sometimes search out for something or maybe see a clip of something on YouTube and then be like, oh, I actually want to watch that entire interview. Yeah. How about why? Do you have a favorite? Um, I think my favorite would probably have to be um, Megan Kelly. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, I think that's really interesting. I think she, I think that he, whether it was fake or not, he actually managed to sort of make her look like a real person. Yeah. And I think they, I think back then I used to think that she was quite an intelligent, well, she probably is still a relatively intelligent woman, even though I don't agree with her views. Yeah. But, um, she, he made her to come across, well, she managed to come across as quite an intelligent woman and was quite a good match for him. Yeah. When she was on the sh- when she was on the show. Yeah. And I think that that was just, I just think it was such an, I think it was just really, really nice. Cool. And obviously there was a little bit of fluffing, like she couldn't say a lot of the things that Roger Ailes was doing back in those days. Yeah. Was doing, but I think it kind of hum. I think she, I think she was quite brave for being a Fox News person coming to come on to the Howard Stern show. Totally, totally. Cool, he, I'll check that out. Yeah, because he's a major Hillary supporter. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's definitely no fan of Fox News. So. No, but who is? That's like, what you want? Have, uh, 40% of my country. <laughs> Sadly. That's true. Yeah. That's very true. Um, but to be honest, let's, let's be real. They're, they have the best looking, they have the best looking anchor people. I mean, they consistently do manage to find leggy women often blonde to deliver the news yeah and that is what speaks to 40% of that 40% of the nation um I sure I mean I think like uh you know Roger Ailes was an evil genius he oh, knew exactly yeah. how to get people he was the loudest voice he was the loudest voice in the room man. yeah that was the name of the book wasn't it mm, mm. but yeah that he was and he um from what I remember or from what I remember hearing he had a he played a part in the Frost and Nixon in the Frost and Nixon debate. Didn't uh, he? that sounds correct to me. I've, yeah, that sounds correct to because me. Because I can't remember which one it was. So one of them was really bad on TV, right? Really bad in TV debates. Roger Ailes comes in and starts to like coax him a little, coach him a little bit. It's so Nixon. The, I mean, Nixon famously, yeah. the story goes that in 1960, one of the reasons he lost the presidency to Kennedy is it's the first time debates were ever televised. Yeah. So you, you find this in, like, American textbooks. That to the people who listened to it on the radio, Nixon was winning the debate. But to people who saw it on TV, Kennedy was, like, this young, fresh face. Yeah. Nixon had, like, too much makeup on and was sweating, and so Kennedy won. Yeah. But Roger Ailes comes in and says, this is what you need to do. Yeah. And then he just took over. Yeah. He was... I don't respect the guy. I don't like the guy at all, but... He's an, as you said, evil fucking genius. Totally, totally. And you can't take away the genius part from evil. Yeah. Like, he revolutionized the 24-hour news cycle. 100%, 100%. Um, again, so what is your take on the... On what do you think of the whole 24-hour news cycle thing? Like, whether it be on the left side or the right side, what's your take on it? Uh, I mean, I don't think it's terribly healthy. <laughs> I think there are far other graver dangers to in terms of, like, information and democracy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think the way that sort of the internet facilitates people to like get nonstop news that is not necessarily factually accurate and that yeah. just supports their opinion, uh, I think is a fundamental danger to democracy. Yeah. I don't think the 24-hour news cycle is a fundamental danger, but I think it doesn't, um, it doesn't create the conditions for intelligent debate. No, of course not. Yeah. And there's only so much 
information that we as human beings can actually hold at one point we can't say all this stuff that we're getting constantly 24 7 we can't hold all of this in yeah there's and that's and people wonder why we have um, such a surge in mental health issues so much going on at once so much is going on at one time yeah yeah so yeah, sorry, Carol. No, no, no. The the world is too much with us. Uh, the world is too much with us is like a quote from Wordsworth, but I think that's like so true in the information age and the internet. No, that's fine. That's great. And yeah, it's true. William Wordsworth, you had a fucking point. That's great. Yeah. So, what tips would you give to some that like, cutting away from all the political stuff? What tips would you give to someone who's going to Edinburgh for or considering Edinburgh for the uh, for next year? Definitely do the a free fringe show, be it PBH or Laughing Horse. <coughs> laughing Horse, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you have a, you have a preference between the two? Or? I'm with Laughing Horse, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I am as well. I am as well. Um, I mean, I wonder. I don't know if there's that much of a difference between the two. There's a part of me that, like, given the fact I don't have big technical needs, think that if I do it again, I might do PBH. But uh, who knows? Um, and Park is like Laughing Horse. You have to like then submit to like pay like. 300 400 quid to get into like the fringe program and like i'm like a relative unknown from the u.s mm. i think almost nobody's coming to my show because i see it in the program yeah maybe i'm wrong no I don't, I don't think i am uh so what's the difference so what do pbh have to pay or you don't have to get into the fringe program and you you don't pay as much to like that but the catch is like there's almost like no technical support or anything so it's a little more DIY. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that. I mean, you know, have realistic expectations. Know that, like, there's a million different shows, and, like, unless you have, like, a PR team, like, it'll be hard to get people to come in. But, um, you know, as long as you have realistic expectations, I think it's mm-hmm. just a, a wonderful experience for any performer to go through. Yeah. So. Speaking of getting people to come in, I was speaking to Rob Mulholland, who's, who's going to be on the episode before this one gets released. Cool. Um, he was saying that this is his fifth fringe and this is the lowest number this is the lowest turnout of people that there's ever been for a fringe oh really yeah because it is just getting so expensive right now yeah it's sort of becoming like uh, from what I've seen it is a bit of a rich people playground a little bit at the moment sure like yeah and people and I think people are starting to recognise that you know what? We instead of going to Scotland, we could spend all the money that we would have spent coming here on like a holidays Barbados or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of true, to be honest. Yeah. Um, what do you think could be done to make the fringe? I don't want to say make it better, but make it more accessible to other people. That is, <laughs> I wish I had an answer, but it's yeah. still beyond, as the expression goes, beyond my pay grade. Uh, the only thing I think of is like, and it, it sucks because the buildings are old, is that like yeah. not everything's handicapped accessible. There is one guy in a wheelchair. Aaron Simmons. And I, yeah. Oh, no, no, I was thinking I flyered this person and then, um, and then I have to be like, you know, I'll be, I'll be real with you. I up a flight of stairs and, I, you know, unless somebody carries you up yeah. in the wheelchair, you can't get up. I'm like, I felt bad. Oh. Uh, there's a great episode of the show 99% Invisible all about um, changes in American law and design for handicap accessibility that was amazing mm. and made me just like much more aware of those sorts of things. Is that a podcast? Or is that yeah, yeah, yeah. Podcast? So, so uh, yeah. Um, 
I have, I have no I mean I hear people talk about this you know it's like I don't know I live in New York City I'm moving to San Francisco they're both like super fucking expensive it's funny to hear a lot of comedians make jokes about housing costs and be like hey, it gets just as real here as it is in the States mm. um, so I don't know but um, yeah I mean sure it's not cheap it's so, kind of nice to, it's kind of like nice to hear that housing the housing crisis isn't just isn't just stuck here it's everywhere else as well so like new york and san francisco as you oh yeah i mean it's not only those two cities but the u.s is definitely a serious problem yeah so fuck the boomers man fuck the boomers exactly thank you thank you so much i love my mom but fuck the boomers yeah um so what do you think the comedy scene is like here compared have you gigged a lot in england no i've really gigged none in england except for at the fringe so okay. I, it, it seems to me to be the one thing that it seems to me different is it probably is a little bit easier to gig a lot because it's just a smaller country and it's more densely populated so you can go to many different cities and not have to travel far whereas in the u.s it's just so much more spread out so if you wanted to hit up a lot of different cities it just takes a lot more time and money to fly or something yeah 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 um so i think it's probably easier to gig a lot more here but you know I, i have no sense of I don't know, and people like, uh, it's also just funny to see, but I experienced this when I was here for the year, that like, there's a little bit more of English humor, which is about like, mm, taking the piss out of somebody in a way that's uh, not considered rude, but just, that strikes me as an American as rude, but I I know culture is all relative, so it's not, it's actually considered like, it's not just rude. Uh, it's yeah. just banter. I, yeah. When I was here for the year, it took me a long time to get used to the fact that sometimes I'd meet strangers, and they would say things that struck me as rude and like a little, you know. And I think like you're a dick, but it's like, no, they're actually being friendly. Yeah. Um, it's weird how it is quite weird how we express love and affection. Yeah. Through being dicks to each other. Sure. <laughs> Effectively. Right. So what's the comedy scene like in New York at the moment? I mean, there's a lot. I don't know. I mean, New York and L.A., there's probably, like, more. Yeah, not that I know from L.A., but just from what I hear, there's just, like, a lot of places where you can perform, and there's just so many more opportunities, too. Mm. Um, I mean, conversely, there's lots of people doing that, but, like, there's no better city to just find times to get on stage and get reps and just be able to workshop shit, so. Is that in New York? Yeah. Yeah. But, I I, but, I, but L.A., from what I hear, is sort of similar that way, so. From what I've, from what I've heard about L.A., it's a lot of a lot of failed actors who think, okay, I'm not acting at the moment. I'm gonna try comedy. Uh, I don't know that, but that sounds uh, very, very, <laughs> very plausible. So yeah. yeah, sure. I was I heard that from Joey Di- from the Joey Diaz podcast. Okay. So it's not me saying it. It's Joey Diaz saying. Yeah, it, saying that, that. sure. I, that sounds completely completely plausible. Yeah, but like in that kind of hive. Where everyone wants to be, where everyone sort of wants to be successful, whether it be in movies or in business or whatever. Yeah. You're gonna try and take every single avenue that you can, right? Totally. Even if it means you're being a little bit inauthentic with yourself. Totally. Totally. But I reckon those are the people that maybe struggle the most with this kind of with this kind of thing. Uh, sure. I mean, if you're doing it sort of like a fallback thing, yeah. I don't know how much you can really be enjoying it. I mean, you could. You could. Yeah. But you also might not yeah so. so what's the worst experience you've had at a gig before I don't know wait forget we'll get to that question later what's your worst experience with flyering uh 
uh, just like drunken rude dudes oh, or like, bro, like some guy this year was like um uh, he cussed at me I don't know what it, he was like he was I, he walked back and forth I saw him twice and he was you know I don't want your fucking flyer I mean whatever in like a Scottish accent and then <laughs> and then the second time like I tried I, you know I don't even realize it was the same group and I tried flowering somebody else in this group and she's not interested in your fucking flyer and I was like thanks man nice yeah. just nice really chill really chill I would kind of prefer that to just not being acknowledged as a human being at all no, I would much rather not be acknowledged than have somebody like. Because if you don't acknowledge me, I get that. That doesn't annoy me. With that guy, I really like wanted to like scream at him. Yeah. And I didn't because it's like you're probably drunk. You're with a group. I don't know what your deal is, but like that made me aggressive. Uh, if somebody like doesn't talk to me, it doesn't make me aggressive. Nah. It's not nice, but I mean, it's not not nice to be honest. I mean, I dig it. Yeah. But, yeah. But like, yeah, but that guy, he probably he's probably got a really small penis. We, we didn't get that far. We didn't no, get, you that, didn't get far. that far. Yeah. Well, you didn't get that far into the relationship. No, no, so it was just a just a two off, I guess. Yeah, like, but you got to think that, like, why would you be? Why would this complete stranger? I get it's annoying and there's like hundreds of us flying at one time, right? But at the same time, what did you get from? The, what did he get from that? From that? Well, from that interaction by being a dick. What did he get from that? I don't I mean, understand. drunk and aggressive doesn't need a rationality, so... No, and he probably... Uh, hopefully he regretted it. The next, hopefully he regretted uh, it. I time. doubt he remembered it, and if he did, I'm sure he didn't regret uh, it. Fair play. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure he did not regret that. So. Uh, do you think flyering works, getting people in? Or? For me, it does. I, I mean, I think that's probably the only way I get people into my show. It's the second year in a row I have a show after 11 p.m., which sucks. I really wish it was earlier. Oh, Jesus. What time is your show? 6.45. Do you fly her a lot every day? Yeah, we fly for two hours. Yeah, I try to fly her for two hours every day. Do Where you about, find it effective? I find, we find it all right, but we get quite a good lead-in show. So what happens is sometimes we'll get the a lot of audience from that show staying or sticking around. Yeah. And then we'll just trap them, as it were. Right. Um, yeah, I think it does work, but at the moment I'm just getting to the point where I think, okay, I don't even care if you guys come to the show, just take my flyer so the yeah. so the stat can go down, and so that I'm not like. No, I put a lot of energy into it, and like we'll try to like talk to people and, and yeah. pitch them on it. Cause I just think I'm in complete unknown. You have no idea who I am. It's the only way you're gonna really end up coming. What kind of things? What kind of tips do? You, well, what kind of things do you use when you fly? What kind of? I either put on a banana suit or a monkey suit, and I nice. play harmonica. Do you? I do. Nice. So I stick out. Whereabouts do you do it? Uh, the Strip by like George Square and Bristol Square. Okay, cool. So it's busy, but there's a lot of foot traffic and it's near my venue. So. so how do you manage to strike up conversations with the people? Because that's what I'm sort of... Uh, well, you do that and then I like walk towards them and I stick the flyer out. And if they yeah. seem like they're going to take it as soon as they touch it, I just start pitching them. Yeah. Okay. And then like, occasionally people are like, "Thank you," which I, I I gather is like their way of saying like the conversation's over. But I'll just, I'll just yeah. keep talking. Yeah. So. Um, yesterday, I had someone take the flyer, walk a little bit, look at the picture, walk back and say, "No, no, 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 no," and took and gave it back to me. I've had a couple people be like, <laughs> I had one guy take it, and I started describing the show, and he just handed it back. And oh I, I mean, God. It, but it doesn't. You know, that doesn't bother me. It's honest. It's like I dig it, man. 
that's cool. I, I in some ways I appreciate the honesty. It's like you're yeah. you're just being real. Yeah, he's been honest, and what more could we, what more could we actually ask for? Yeah. So, have you done any comedy festivals in the US? I've done some music Canada? comedy festivals. Okay, what are they like? Um, I did this fest in Chicago called Laughing Stock Fest. Nice. It was fun. I don't know. It was cool. Uh, both were, you know, and then in New York, I did the New York Comedy Music Festival and then Funny Song Fest, which is what it used to be called. Uh, it was cool. I mean, it's fun to be in a room that's sort of dedicated to musical comedy. So it's just really fun to hear different people do their things and mm. and see what they do. And because, uh, you know, it's a relatively niche element of comedy. So it's it was cool to be in a room with a lot of people doing it. Yeah. How do you compare the reception to musical comedy here in Edinburgh to the reception you get in the US? It doesn't seem all that different. I mean, if somebody's in front of me there, they're. It doesn't seem all that different. I mean, it's a minority, but I think people respect it out here. I suppose that, like, if they're actually coming to see you and you not, and they know it's a musical comic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, nobody comes and is surprised that I'm holding a guitar, so. Mm. Like, it's not like our show where they don't really know what to expect, yeah. but they're getting stand-up and it's like, oh, okay, entertain yeah. me there. Yeah, totally. Like, that's what I'm kind of finding with some of the audiences here. Like, they are a bit of the, ooh, you're stand-up comedians, entertain me then. Yeah, yeah. Make me laugh. Sure. And if you're not reaching that standard, if you're not reaching that standard, you're not doing it yeah. Totally, totally. But... Then I also I guess that the time that your show's on and the time that my show, by the time that my show's on as well, they've had the opportunity to see almost every form of comedy that there is. Uh huh. So they may be a bit laughed out or whatever else. I think there's some truth to that. Three hundred percent. Three hundred percent. Um. So, whereabouts is your show at the moment? Uh, like physically? Yeah. Sophie's Southside, a pub on a street whose name I still cannot remember how to pronounce. Bucola. It's uh, not Bucala. Fuck. I don't. It's it's pronounced a way that does not seem obvious. To me. <laughs> so where is it, and where do you think the show is at the moment, personally, not physically? Um, good. There are a few things I wish I could change with it. There's a few lead-ins to songs that I think are weak, but on the whole, on the whole, good. We've made some changes since we've been here. It's me and a, a woman, and uh, it's good. It flows. I don't think it drags, mm. and that feels good. That's good. Yeah. Is it getting good? Or, that must be quite hard getting audiences in at 11.30. But uh, Our smallest has been seven. That's cool. Our largest has been like 40. That's amazing. Well, that was one night. Uh, we had another night that we probably had 30, but... Um, yeah, sure, that felt like amazing. seven for a fringe audience after 11 o'clock or after 5 o'clock yeah. is good. <laughs> no, I know, I know. It's just... Um, there are times where I was like, oh, man, it'd be so cool if it was earlier to get yeah. more people. But, I, yes, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Did you apply for it quite early? Or did you apply? I applied just, like, a little bit late because yeah. I had shit going on, and I was just like, oh, man, if I hadn't... Because, yeah, I, re- I regret not applying the day <laughs> it opened, but that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Do you reckon you'll do it again next year? Um, depend. If I can, I would. Um, newly married, me and my wife are trying oh, to have a kid. You. Thank you. If we have a child that's a newborn, it is less likely. If I have uh, full-time work where I can't do that, no. But um, but I would love to come back. Yeah. I, I still am really enjoying it. How long have you and your wife been together, man? 
Uh, it's a hard question to answer. Uh, we, <laughs> no, we we've, we had dated on and off since 2004, but oh. a lot of the time we're not together. Okay. Um, okay. That can get edited out. That's fine. <laughs> no, you you can keep it in. It's it's not. I in fact I even talk about it in the show a little bit. But um, yeah, it's just uh, it's not complicated because it's a complicated marriage. <laughs> it's just complicated because we dated on and off for a while. So that's cool. But then you found each other. But then. All's well, ends well. All's well for now. I mean, I, I'm happy with it. We'll see. Like, assuming we're married in 30 years, which I assume we will be, but yeah. so. Yeah. Who knows? Well, more the rest of that too. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Man, that's that's kind of cool that she's allowed you to come out. This that she's allowed you to come out. Uh, yeah. I mean, she I knows you're here, right? Yeah. <laughs> she keeps being like, "No, mom, why aren't you home for dinner?" <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, we're both fairly independent. Um, yeah we're both very happy doing our own thing so that's cool yeah like that's really prog- that's a really prog- that's progressive on both of your parts man on some level sure yeah all right so i've got to actually go and like yeah i'm gonna go in a bit so let's do yeah peep I show. probably gotta go in like 10 minutes myself Whew. so peep show i love peep show I, dis- I discovered peep show I, I did a year in oxford studying anthropology mm-hmm and you discovered Peep Show. Yeah, somebody had it on DVD, I think. And I, I, I just started devouring it. It just... Do you know what I realised? so funny, yeah. Do you know what I realised? Um, when I was watching it for, like, the first time, it's filmed round the back of my old high school. Really? Yeah. Like, there are build, like there are scenes in it where I can see, where I can actually see my old high school in it. Yeah. I was like, oh, I, like, I recognise that place. I was like, oh, it's St Mary's. Oh my god. That's funny. Um, so, you know, part of what I love about it is the the characters are great. And yeah. someone's like, the supporting characters are all great. I, I almost anything Superhands or Johnson does, I yeah. laugh at. Oh. Almost anything they do, I think, is brilliantly funny. Superhands is just one of the most absurdist yet semi, uh, inte- probably the most intelligent one yeah. on the program. Um, I just I I find that actor extremely funny. Who it must is- be hard for him not to get typecast after yeah. that, but I don't think I've seen him in much afterwards. I don't know. Um. I don't find, I I find uh, Sophie very funny. I don't find her as annoying as I think she's meant to be. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, she's meant to be the I, nagging woman of it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. in general, I think I'm not as inclined to find that trope funny. I think it's fairly problematic. But at the, also, I just I don't find she seems just like a normal person a normal person who wants to find love yeah um Mark I fucking love Mark yeah you know it's funny I always wonder like to what degree is that actually David Mitchell (laughs) I think it seems like it's like 50% him like he I think it's a I think it's about maybe 60-70% him but also 30% of it is just put on for television sure 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 um yeah, they have amazing chemistry. They have amazing chemistry, those two. Mm. Yeah, so... I think that it's just... I think it's just amazing that they managed to keep it going for so long. 
was British sitcoms they don't usually what last was it? it was like eight or nine seasons like by the end nine seasons they don't really last beyond three it's usually three and out so they've done the Ameri- they did the American thing and actually sort of made it work yeah like and that's a real surprise I definitely developed a small celebrity crush on Dobby and Dobby <laughs> she seems like she'd be a really fun girlfriend yes obviously I have no idea what that person's like in real life no but the character is lovely lovely um, and she's so well acted she's so well acted that actress is really funny to be, to be honest I think that every, I just love the whole I love the um, the way that it's filmed oh like, yeah like the cameras on their heads yeah and all. filmed the cameras on their heads and I think that's totally and I just think that's such just an ingenious concept yeah of the 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 first per, the first person point of view thing yeah I don't think that's really ever been done before in a sitcom before that. I don't think so either. I mean, there have been other sitcoms that have, like, people's interior monologue, but nothing yeah. quite that way. No. It's not when... Because when it's Peep Show, we're actually seeing what the characters... What what David Mitchell and Robert Webb are seeing. Yeah. And I don't think that's ever really been done before. No, I think you're right. Um, what was I going to say about it? I forget what I was going to say. Uh, oh yeah it's also just funny for me watching as an American there's definitely like bits that I don't get yeah. like cultural references to things I was going to ask I was actually going to ask you about that because it is a very very British sitcom 100% I mean a lot of it I do get yeah but there's definitely things I, I totally do not uh, or there are things that I remember like I remember one time <laughs> uh, so in a scene where Superhands is smoking crack yes yeah and he says this crack is rather moorish <laughs> I guess moorish can mean addictive it's like you ha- you want more of it I thought he was making an extremely off color joke no about uh it being like so I thought it was like a, a, a like like a racial joke so I just know of like more as like <laughs> a black um you know from Shakespeare yeah and so and uh Bra- I mean, uh, broadly speaking, in the U.S., like cocaine was much more common. At least it used to be. I have no idea what yeah. it's like now. In the white community, crack was much more of a problem. Sort of in African American communities. Mm. Anyways, I thought that's what the joke was, no. and so I was like, <laughs> and that's a thing Superhands might say. If another yeah. character had said that, I wouldn't have thought that. But coming from Superhands, it's like, well, he's a, he's a little bit of a low life. Anyway, yeah. then somebody, then somebody explained the joke to me, and I was like, oh, I felt really bad thinking that's what, <laughs> that's what it meant as a reference. But that, you shouldn't feel bad for that because that's what you're used to hearing. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, you're not meant to. You're, it's yeah, more bit quite Moorish is a very British is a very British saying saying that well, we enjoy it so much we we can't help but have more of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no idea. But so, what do you think of the idea of them remaking it as an American sitcom? Well, they tried once, but they it didn't go off. I want to say yeah. like it had been in production. I mean, if they could find two people with great chemistry, sure. I mean, I think the premise of it could work. Yeah. Um, Mitchell and Webb obviously have great chemistry, and it's so well written. So I think it's definitely possible. I think I, it's. I think it could be done, but they need to not do what they did with the first couple of seasons of The Office and just remake the entire remake the remake the series shot for shot or word for word. I've never liked the off the American Office because I watched the British one first, and so then the American one is just too sweet for me. That's 
this is really this is actually really cool speaking to you about this because like you that's the first time I've heard an American say oh I watched the British one first usually it's the other way around yeah I feel like whichever one you watch first is the one you prefer because the British one and also I like humor that's like uncomfortable it doesn't whenever people are like I cringe I never understand that because it's like guys it's made up right if it was a documentary, that'd be one thing, but it's not. So why are you cringing? Mm. Um, and you know, David Brent's just such a genius character. I'm not uh, gonna lie though, um, I saw the British one first. I prefer the American. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. I guess it's because I like long TV shows, and I got that with the and I got that with the American Office, and I didn't get that with the British with the British. Sure, version. it's just like twelve episodes. But it, what a twelve episodes it actually is. Yeah, totally. But yeah, so Peep shows an anomaly in like quite a few senses. I mean, it's it's first it's point of view, it's first hand point of view, and it's a British sitcom that lasted for more than three seasons. So long. That's yeah. Amazing. All right, man. So where can they find you on social media? I'm gonna say my name and then I'm gonna spell it because nice. nobody. I, I'm happy with my name. It's just uncommon. Noam Osband. I'm the only Noam Osband in the world. N O A M. It's like Chomsky. Yeah. If that means anything to people. It does. Okay. <laughs> to some, not everybody. Uh, I spend a lot of time in Arkansas, and then I usually say it's like Noah, but with an M. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, but basically, if you Google Noah Mosman, the thing that's easy to remember, if you Google the nosy anthropologist, <laughs> I've made a lot of short films under that name. Sweet. And then you'd find my name. Okay. All right, man. That's yeah. Cool. And what about your show? Where can they find your show? Uh, the show is called A Night of Wikipedia Love. It's songs about sex and romance based on Wikipedia articles that we look at on a projector and then sing about. Mm, nice. Sophie Southside, a pub on Bucolif, pronounced incorrectly, street, <laughs> uh, at 11.15 at night. And who are you doing it with? Uh, an actress from L.A. named Bianca, Bianca Giaconetti. Okay, yeah, she's so great. go see no I'm there. Cool. Right, Thank no, you so much. Thank you nice so much. Nice chat with you, man. Good chat with you, too. Thanks for listening, everybody. As always, you can catch me on Twitter at your boy Gibbo and also on Instagram at Gibbogram1 and on my website, square at yeboygibbo.com. And you can also catch me, Sean and Jahan and Duffy Connors as the tick boxes at Jockey Murphy's Bar every day from 6.45pm. Uh, but yeah, thanks for listening, guys, and see you soon. Bye.